Today we are reading from the Gospel of Matthew, so I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, friends, we're going to wrap up our sermon series today called In the Right Order. And if you've heard any of the others previously, but even if you haven't, what we need to start out with today is the understanding that it really does matter in the steps of a deep and authentic spiritual life to make sure that we get them in the right order. So I'm going to ask those up top to help me by putting up the newsprint. We'll look at it one last time. Just as a reminder that we have four steps in the spiritual life. The first one is to know God's goodness and trust that it is true. And as we find that deep assurance that God loves us and what's good for us, then we find the freedom there to surrender, which is step number two. And as we surrender, then it allows us to find this beautiful opening for receiving the forgiveness that God intends to offer us. And then as those who have received this beautiful and great gift, we then have the freedom to offer it to others, which is step three. And finally, today we're going to address step four, which is choosing and acting on what God asks. So just to make sure we're all on the same page as we begin this morning. So before we go any further, I want to point out where the change actually happens in the spiritual life. Because many of us feel like that step two, I'm, I'm sorry, step four is where the change actually happens. When we begin to choose what God would want and act on that. But actually, the change or the transformation in the spiritual life happens in step two, which is to surrender our will so that God's will can direct our lives and it makes sense when we think about it because we, when we consider that we can't freely choose what God asks or act on it unless we have surrendered, then we can begin to see that step two is where that transformation happens. What I'm suggesting to us this morning is that surrender has the power to rewrite the story we tell ourselves. And in that power, it gives us freedom to align our desires with God's. The musical selections today have been amazing. If you have enjoyed both the hymn, uh, well, we had two, Be Thou My Vision and Breathe On Me, Breath of God, and the praise music. You know, I want to I wanna want what you want. I want to give you control. All of those songs are leading us to this point of being able to align our desires with God's. And so here's our first hashtag for the day. Surrender changes everything. That's really where the spiritual life changes and we find the transformation that we're seeking. So I was trying to, to find an illustration that helps us understand the power of surrender 
to, to make that shift for us and help us to rewrite our story. I went back to a favorite book of mine, Shauna Nequist, Present Over Perfect. I see Janet and Jackie out there in the uh, congregation today. You all remember that your group did that as a study, your Thursday evening uh, group, I believe you all had looked at, at her book, Present Over Perfect. She narrates things so beautifully in that book. And so I want you to hear her tell this story about her own life. We all have these complicated tangles of belief and identity and narrative. And one of the early stories I told myself is that my ability to get it done is what kept me around. I wasn't beautiful. I didn't have a special or delicate skill, but I could get stuff done. And it seemed to me that that ability was my entrance into the rooms into which I wanted to be invited. So can you see that the power of the story that you tell yourself really matters? So I pause here to ask a question of all of us. Do we have a story about what makes us valuable? Why do you think people want to keep you around? Why do you think God wants to keep you around? That's the power of story to narrate meaning for us. Well, she's trying to imagine in the book a different story. So let's listen to how she continues. I couldn't imagine a world of unconditional love or grace where people simply enter into rooms because the door is open to everyone. It wasn't possible for her to conceive of that. The world that made sense to me was a world of earning and proving, and I was gutting it out just like everyone around me, frantically trying to prove my worth. But at that point, friends, she's playing with that story. She's allowing that shift to begin to happen in her of, what if I let go of my previous narrative? What if I allowed my meaning to be determined by something other than my ability to get things done? Right? What if I surrendered? Can you feel the power of imagining a different story? Friends, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, let me offer you this, just this one exhortation. Just because we've always believed something to be true doesn't mean it has to tell us the truth of who we are becoming. Amen? We can have a different story. Surrender is what opens up these different stories or narratives in our life, and that's why it changes us. So here's your second hashtag for the day. First one was surrender changes everything. The second is surrender story. What story would be different in your life if you could let go and trust that God truly is good and wants good for you? Your story could be very, very different. Now we're prepared to enter the gospel text with this question. What story do we think Jesus' words are writing? And even if you have your Bibles out, I want you to put them away just for a moment because I think the power is in being able to hear this passage. These are words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. So these are kind of his most poignant teachings on what it means to live as a disciple. And this is what Jesus says. Let's hear it together. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so what story might we hear narrated in Jesus' words? I think one story could sound something like this. God is the almighty buzzkill, right? The eternal wet blanket, the drenching rain on our parade. God just doesn't want us to have any fun. Surely God missed the memo that the one with the most toys wins. You know that memo? God must have not gotten that one. Hmm. Yeah, 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 God, I hear you. But I, I just think you missed it because my heart, my heart is not influenced by my treasure. My heart is pure. Treasure is more about trophies than it is about values. Right? Could that be a story that might be written in response to the words that Jesus tells? But we could also consider the anti-narrative, the other story that might be written in response to Jesus' words. Gosh, you know, God is good, and God is for me. God doesn't want me to chase after that which can never bring me joy. That would be futility, right? God wouldn't want that in my life. God wouldn't want me to put myself at risk of loss because I was valuing the wrong things. God wouldn't want that for me. No, God wants me to invest in that which will last because that's what's going to bring me peace. Right? Both both stories could easily be written in response to this gospel text today. And what makes the difference in which story you tell? Surrender. Surrender is really the, the change agent there. Surrender means that our desires are going to more easily align with God's desires, which is really our point for today. How do we align our desires with God's desires so they're the same? Now, we must address the perennial obstacle to this alignment of desires. It's called idolatry. Idolatry is what keeps our desires from aligning with God's desires every time. In order to understand how idolatry works, we have to go back to the meaning of sin. And you might remember that I've shared with you in the Greek, in the language of the New Testament, the word sin, hamartia, is the Greek word, it literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. Okay, And so what sin means in the language of the New Testament is that we aimed and we missed. Even the word hamartia draws to mind the target. And as soon as you see a target, even in your mind, you know exactly what you're aiming for, right? You're aiming for that bullseye, that little circle in the center. That's where I want my arrow to go. In the spiritual life, we would say that the bullseye for a Christ follower is God's good and perfect will. That's where we're aiming. That is our bullseye. It's God's highest desire for our lives that we would aim For God's good and perfect will. But idolatry, and this is why it's so sneaky in the way it operates. It's when we allow anything other than God's good and perfect will to be the bullseye for our lives. And it's amazing how easily other things will come and be the bullseye for us that sort of slip in front of the target. 
That's what idolatry means. And so that's really what Jesus' word of caution is for us this morning in the gospel text. For where your treasure is, be careful, right? There your heart will be also. Whatever you have defined as the bullseye, where you're aiming, that is going to be where you put all of your energy and effort. Step four, oh sorry, here's your third hashtag, okay? Idolatry. That is the perennial obstacle uh, for step number four, which is to choose what God asks and then act on it. That step is absolutely dependent upon us identifying the right bullseye in our life to know what we're aiming for, friends, which is the good and perfect will of God. And if we're aiming at the right target, then choosing what God asks is going to be easy. In fact, other choices don't even enter the equation. It's not even really a choice. It's sort of a natural outcome of the spiritual life. Richard Rohr puts it like this, the heartfelt desire to do the will of God is in fact the truest will of God. Right? It, it's, it's that alignment of our desires with God's desires until they become the same thing. The viability of a spiritual life that keeps us moving in the direction of there. In the first sermon of this series, I told you that the spiritual life many times is a journey from here to there. And the point is not whether we're going in a straight line. The point is which direction we're headed. We want to be looking more and more like the one that we serve, our teacher, our master. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. And so we want to get closer to there. We want our lives to look more like Jesus. What that depends on is us aligning our desires with the good and perfect will of God. And that's what Jesus shows us so beautifully in his life, is how to keep one's desires perfectly aligned with the will of the Father. This process of being perfected in grace is what's known in the, the spiritual language as sanctification. And most of the time, that is like a very negative word. People are like, oh, you're so sanctified, you know, kind of <laughs> look at the corner of their eye or whatever. But but it's actually a beautiful term because it helps us know that it is possible for us to grow in grace and to become more of the people that God knows we can be, that our desires can actually align with the desires of God. And so when everything in the spiritual life is working as intended, sanctification is the most natural expression of loving God that we can imagine. It just it just happens right? We love God. We trust God. We know God is for us and for our good. Nothing is more important to us than what God wants and desires, and so we naturally want what God wants. And if you wonder what it's going to look like, it usually will look like the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Perhaps you've heard those before. The Great Commandment, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's, that's a bullseye for us. And the Great Commission, go into all the world and, and teach those who haven't heard about me, about how to be disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, right, that's our bullseye. That's where we're going. And, and that really helps us understand that the perfect will of God often looks like the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Step four, if we've done the other three, is a no-brainer. It's the natural result of a life lived under the umbrella of grace. And so, 
Remember that word sanctification. It's your fourth hashtag. As we wrap up today, I want to bring back the Maya Angelou quote that I mentioned to you last week. When we know better, we do better. Think that's true? I sure hope so. I sure hope I'm learning a few things along the way so I don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. So friends, I want us to pay attention to what most commonly gets in our way. These are the things that if we know better, we can do better. Obstacle number one, not knowing God's goodness. It's usually a misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. We simply do not know that God loves us just as we are and for all that we've yet to become. We somehow think there are prerequisites. There aren't. You don't have to do anything to earn the love that God wants to give you. It's, it's the character and nature of God to love you because God responds in love to all of creation. You can know God's goodness and trust that it's true. And that actually what I've shared with you over the last four weeks, that is the foundation for a growing and vital spiritual life. To know God's goodness and trust that it is true. And what I've said to you is, if you get off track in the spiritual life, come back to that. Because that recenters you on the character and nature of God. Another obstacle, not letting go fully to trust God. Not being able or willing to surrender. It's usually a result of not knowing that God is good. Because we can't willingly to surrender to anything that we think is not for us. Not for our good. Although there's another little sneaky thing that gets in here. An obstacle to surrender. It's called pride. It's the first of the seven deadly sins. And it's the feeling of I know better. The ancients called it hubris. I like that word. Another obstacle is not being fully honest about where you need forgiveness. Last week I told you there are two forgiveness traps. Believing you are something and believing you are nothing. Either one of those is a trap. And it will prevent you from receiving the forgiveness that God already wants to give you. And because you can't forgive or receive forgiveness, then you cannot offer forgiveness, which is the other obstacle of not being able to forgive. And finally, today we've talked about the obstacle of not being able to align our desires with God's desires. It's usually the result of idolatry in our lives. It's the sneakiest of all the obstacles. It will get in there before you even know it's happening. It reminds me of the the metaphor of the frog in the boiling water. You know, if you put the frog in, it jumps out. But if you let the water temperature come up, it'll never know that there's a problem. And that's how idolatry works in our lives. So the way we address idolatry is to go back to the other three steps and make sure we're working those. Because if you're doing the first three steps, then when you come to the fourth one, it just happens naturally. Church, I need to tell you, we got a rough few months ahead. Have you thought about that? We're facing a painful election cycle, in case you hadn't heard. We might be facing what I've heard called a twindemic, a flu and COVID. The stories that you tell me about what happens in your family when you encounter what used to have been a normal crisis and the layers of complication that are added now because we're in the middle of a pandemic, it's tragic. 
So, so what I want to be able to say to you is you cannot escape the fact that those external factors impact your spiritual life. This is the time where we have to dig deep, friends. We have to remember who we are and whose we are. We have to call upon that identity that we were given in our baptism. When God said, you belong to me. I love you and I am well pleased with you. So that then when you live in this world, in this external circumstance and situation, you're reflecting that identity. You know what that identity looks like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, and self-control. For our lives to look like the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to have to stay centered and grounded in what we most deeply believe and trust. We're not going to have any other factors encouraging us to do that. That's going to have to be something that we decide is important, and we're going to be intentional about it. And so I've offered in the month of September these four steps of faith as the best tool I know of to help you find your center and stay rooted in Jesus Christ because what I know is that when we do that together, we'll change the world. Amen.